Chapter Twenty Two of Pollyanna of the Orange Blossoms. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Claire. Pollyanna of the Orange Blossoms by Harriet Lummis Smith. Chapter Twenty Two. Pollyanna does her bit. The oracles who insist on the importance of living in the present would have found Pollyanna a refractory disciple during the months that followed Jimmy's departure. From her standpoint, the present had little to offer, and she dared not look ahead into the future. Day by day, as she went through the routine of her work, and she left few minutes unaccounted for, she really was living in the past, talking with Jimmy, walking with Jimmy, basking in the light of his frank eyes, listening to his buoyant laughter. It was Beldingsville and its inhabitants that seemed remote and dreamlike. The real world was the world of the past to which Jimmy belonged. In due time there came to her the official announcement of a safe crossing, and then, straggling along, at distressingly protracted intervals, his precious letters. She wrote daily as she had written him at the encampment, and as cheerily as ever. There was much of interest to tell, for he, like herself, knew practically every man, woman, and child in the town, and would enjoy the bits of news she gathered for his entertainment. She was sure, however tragic his environment, he would chuckle when she told him of Nancy's confidence that he would soon be commander-in-chief of the American forces in France. Nancy had been quite positive about it. "'That General Pershing looks real nice in his pictures,' Nancy acknowledged generously. "'But Mr. Jimmy's got the pep, he has. He has. And, oh my, don't he look just grand on a horse!' In course of time, Pollyanna confided her secret to Aunt Polly, and more than ever was she convinced that she had never done her relative justice. Aunt Polly sat staring at her for a long moment, as if she found it hard to believe her ears, and then she asked in a curiously husky voice, "'And you've never told him yet?' "'No, I was afraid. I didn't want to make it harder for him.' Aunt Polly got up and walked to the window. She seemed intensely interested in the scenery, so much so that Pollyanna wondered uneasily if there could be a fire in the distance to absorb her attention so long. But when she faced about, her expression revealed a tenderness she did not often show. For the time being, her New England reserve had the worst of it. Pollyanna, and Polly began impressively, Vermont has a right to be proud of its daughters. Of course, she amended with a negligent wave of her hand, you were born in the West, but you are a Vermonter by blood and one of a long line of heroic women. Molly Stark? Oh, Aunt Polly! exclaimed the overwhelmed heroine and broke into tears. It really seemed more than she could endure at that moment to be named in a list headed by Molly Stark. She felt that Aunt Polly was eyeing her with consternation and did her faltering best to explain. I'm not crying because I'm sorry, she sobbed. I'm glad, awfully glad, to have you proud of me. Only I'm a little frightened for fear you'll think I'm braver than I am. There are times when it's all I can do to be glad for anything. I should think so, indeed, murmured Aunt Polly, and from that day a certain protecting tenderness in her manner toward Pollyanna was increasingly in evidence. They both spent a great deal of time at the Red Cross. Pollyanna hated making surgical bandages because of their ghastly suggestiveness, but she did her best to forget the purpose for which they would be used, and struggled to keep her thoughts busy with something quite different, while her fingers went on mechanically with the allotted task. There were other young wives in the group that met day after day, suggesting in their white aprons and the white veil-like coverings for their heads, novices in some religious order. 
there were mothers of boys in the service, capable, middle-aged women who talked bravely and worked tirelessly, and helped to keep the spirit of the group at concert pitch. Indeed, Pollyanna was conscious of a curious sustaining power in the realization that she was one of millions of women, women of every race, who were giving their all to a cause dearer than life. And so the days slipped away, one like another, except for the changes of the seasons, the shortening days, the increasing cold, the exchange of green fields and leafy woods for stretches of dun-coloured meadow and bare boughs. And then this was, in turn, exchanged for a world all white and glittering. Pollyanna had never minded the cold, but this winter she sometimes shivered in her warm bed, thinking of Jimmy and wondering if he had blankets enough. His letters were always cheerful, too cheerful, indeed, to be convincing. She would hide her face in the pillow when the wind howled outside and pray God that he was warm. It was a relief to her when the Red Cross workers dropped surgical dressings for a time to prepare the comfort kits for men about to go overseas. The money for the fittings had been raised by an entertainment given in the town hall and smaller affairs at several private homes. Pollyanna worked happily at this new occupation. Instead of detaching her mind from the purpose of what she was making, as she was forced to do in the case of the surgical dressings, she liked to fancy the pleasure of the recipient, even though their clumsy, unaccustomed fingers might make hard work of threading a needle, the boys would find needles and thread most convenient on many an occasion. "'I declare you look happy,' Millie Snow said to her one day as they worked side by side, smiling away to yourself just as if, how do you manage it?' Pollyanna glanced up brightly. "'Was I smiling?' she asked. "'I was thinking of a time when my husband tried to sew on a button, and it was so funny. I was kneading bread.' and he wouldn't wait for me to finish. She stopped her work to laugh, and Millie Snow gave her a sidelong look, her eyes wide with admiration, and she told her mother that night, she's the same Pollyanna that she was when she was little, only more so. Didn't folks used to think there were seven wonders in the world? Well, Pollyanna Whittier makes eight. In connection with the comfort kits, Aunt Polly had a bright idea. She announced it one afternoon when there was an especially large attendance at the Red Cross gathering. I think it would be a good idea to send a personal note with each of these kits. Not a long letter, of course, but a little friendly greeting. Mrs. Newman spoke up from the other side of the room. She was as tireless a worker as Aunt Polly herself, always present, always eager to do her full share, or even more. I think that is such an excellent idea, Mrs. Chilton, she exclaimed, and if you are willing, I shall be glad to undertake writing the notes. Familiar as Mrs. Chilton was with the unremitting industry of her valuable aid, this offer caused her to start uncertainly. You don't mean all of them, of course. Yes, certainly, I will write all of them myself. It will be considerable work. My intention, explained Mrs. Chilton, is to have each one different, so that, if the boys compare them, they will still feel that each greeting is personal. They must be tired of machine-made sentiments, poor lads. "'I quite agree with you,' cried Mrs. Newman again, "'and I promise that each note shall be different from all the others, quite, quite different.' "'I am sure you are undertaking a great deal,' said Mrs. Chilton, in a tone of hearty approbation, "'and that the rest of us appreciate it from our hearts. "'Then, if there's no objection, we will leave the writing of the notes to Mrs. Newman.' "'None of the workers objected. "'Indeed, to many of the women the pen was the most awkward of implements.' The broom or needle or mixing spoon they were quite at home with, but they would have been at a loss if called on to compose a single note of greeting for an unknown soldier going overseas. 
an enthusiastic murmur ran around the circle corroborating the leader's expression of appreciation when mrs newman brought the notes a few days later ready to be enclosed with the completed kits they had a very business-like appearance tied together in bundles of a dozen but as mrs chilton picked up the topmost bundle she was surprised to find that each note had been sealed with red wax oh she exclaimed impulsively i thought you'd leave them open oh did you mrs newman looked vaguely troubled i thought that sealing them would make each boy feel that his letter was really meant for him anything unsealed suggests an advertisement don't you think i thought we should all enjoy hearing a few of them read mrs newman's pained expression became more pronounced i'm sorry i didn't understand but i'm afraid it would make me uncomfortable to hear my efforts read before an audience i made each one very personal you see i put my whole heart into it the tone of plaintive disappointment suggested to more than one present that mrs chilton was showing less appreciation of loyal service than the occasion called for polly harrington always did think that her way was the only way one matron whispered to her neighbour that poor little woman looks most ready to cry tisn't as if she was one of us and could take her talk for what it was worth mrs chilton felt the reproachful glances levelled in her direction and hastened to make amends of course it's not a matter of any real consequence she said i'm sure that knowing mrs newman as we do we can feel confident that the letters will be just the sort to cheer and inspire our boys and perhaps she is right in thinking that sealing them will make each recipient feel that his letter was meant for him personally the kits were packed that afternoon each one containing one of mrs newman's letters and mrs john pendleton who was back in beldingsville for a couple of weeks offered to drive mrs chilton and the box down to the express office and then i want you to come back home with me and hear jamie's patriotic song it was sung in new york all last week and the audiences went wild over it the next thing they'll be singing it in the camps and the boy will be beside himself with happiness i'd love to hear it and pollyanna must come too aunt polly said but for once pollyanna did not snatch at an invitation i believe i'll go home if you don't mind i'm a little tired and besides i want to write to jimmy you're feeling all right aren't you asked aunt polly looking pollyanna over with a searching glance that seemed to defy her to try to hide anything oh i'm perfectly all right except a little bit tired then let me drive you home before we go to the express office suggested mrs pendleton there'll be plenty of time this package won't leave till the five forty five train pollyanna shook her head thank you aunt ruth dear but a little walk will do me good i'm not tired from exercise so much as from sitting still of course i want to hear jamie's song very very soon please give him my love and congratulations when you write him and so the limousine glided in one direction over the snow-covered streets and pollyanna started in the other she had not walked half a block however before she realized that she had forgotten her fur neckpiece she turned back quickly reproaching herself for her carelessness to run any risk of contracting illness when so many of the country's physicians were in the service and the remainder so sadly overworked impressed her as a most unpatriotic proceeding the red cross meetings were held in the chapel of reverend paul ford's church the chapel where once pollyanna had pleaded the cause of jimmy bean before the ladies aid though pollyanna's return had been so prompt the chapel was empty only the old sexton was in evidence painstakingly sweeping up the litter which told of the afternoon's activities pollyanna stopped to explain to the old man the reason for her reappearance and he grunted assentingly 
Days always leaving something, women folks is. Lucky their heads is on tight, or they'd be forgetting them too. Oh, Mr. Potts, Pollyanna protested gaily, you mustn't be too hard on us. But Mr. Potts held tenaciously to his grievance. Some one of them left a letter lying on the floor. Hain't got no stamp, hain't not go address. But I suppose if that letter don't get to the one twas meant for, some woman will be raising Cain. No matter how hard a man tries to please him, he's always in hot water. He brought her the letter as he grumbled on, and Pollyanna at once recognized it as one of the many little notes Mrs. Newman had written and sealed. Her first feeling was one of regret. One of the kits apparently had gone without an accompanying note. Some soldier would be disappointed. Then it occurred to her that since Aunt Polly had wished to read some of Mrs. Newman's notes, here was her chance. As Pollyanna stood looking at the blank, sealed envelope, she suddenly felt herself eager to open it. The impulse surprised her, shocked her slightly. With all her profound interest in whatever concerned other people, she had always thought herself above prying curiosity. Yet, even while she recoiled from the idea, it became more insistent, almost clamorous. She began to find excuses for it. It's not as if it were a letter to anybody, anybody special, I mean. Anyone could read it, who cared. But I don't know why I should want to. She ended the inward debate by tearing open the letter in obedience to that dominating and inexplicable desire. Her eyes followed the lines down the page, and her hand went up to her throat. Mr. Potts turned about as a queer, choking sound reached his ears. Shoo! Tain't bad news, is it? Pollyanna did not answer him. For the moment, her brain was entirely absorbed in the incredible words before her. Greetings to you, poor fool, interfering in the quarrel of your betters. Know that, within half a year, you will be a German prisoner, or else your carcass will lie rotting in the land you talk about saving. Fool, you cannot even save yourself. You are doomed. Old Mr. Potts came hurrying across the room, quite forgetting his cynicism in view of Pollyanna's incomprehensible emotion. Was it for you, after all? he panted. Hope twan't bad news. Still, Pollyanna neither heard nor heeded. All at once she realized that something must be done. Those horrible letters must never leave the village. She ran past the gaping old man into the stinging air of the outside world. Young Jerry Reed was just passing, driving an old grey horse, hitched to a low pung, in which Grayson's grocery delivered its patron's orders during the winter months. As Pollyanna broke through the intervening wall of snow and ran into the road, holding up her hand commandingly, the boy pulled up his horse, staring down at her in consternation. "'Turn around instantly, Jerry, and drive me to the express office. I don't see how I can do that, Miss Polly. I mean, Mrs. Pendleton. I'm late now with Mrs. Dr. Warren's order, and if I'm any later, I'll get a good laying out.' As Jerry protested, Pollyanna had climbed to the seat beside him. "'Turn at once,' she said. "'Drive as fast as you can. Take the whip!' Jerry's mouth fell ajar in a bewilderment, almost comic, yet he recognized the voice of authority. Without a question or another word of protest, he turned the sled about and started back in the direction from which he had come. And as Pollyanna continued to urge haste, he plied the whip with a zest which inspired the old grey horse to unprecedented speed. The sleigh-bells jangled jubilantly, and behind them Mrs. Dr. Warren's groceries danced a jig, leaping out of the box which contained them high in the air and falling back again with a thud, only to repeat the performance. Pedestrians on the sidewalk turned to stare. Yes, that was Pollyanna Pendleton, perched on the driver's seat beside Jerry Reed. And where on earth were they going in such a hurry? 
At the express office, Pollyanna had her first experience with red tape. When she learned that the package Mrs. Chilton had brought fifteen minutes before had not yet left the office, she innocently supposed that her work was done. But Mr. Cooper proceeded to explain that he must send the package to the station immediately. Mrs. Chilton had been very particular that it should get off on that quarter of six train. "'But I've found out something she doesn't know about, Mr. Cooper. She won't want it to go now.' Mr. Cooper was sorry to appear unobliging. Pollyanna was not to construe it as personal, but in an office like this there were such things as rules and regulations. And while she was Mrs. Chilton's niece, and as a man he knew her to be strictly all right, as an official he could not regard her as qualified to give orders regarding the matter. In short, she was not the shipper. Time was flying. Pollyanna saw it would be necessary to let him know the truth. She held up the unaddressed letter, its red seal still intact before his eyes. "'Mr. Cooper, that package contains comfort kits for the soldiers. With each one is a letter written by a woman in this town. They were brought sealed. But fortunately one of them was overlooked. I opened it and read it, and I'll ask you to read it too.' Mr. Cooper drew out the enclosure, deliberately adjusting his spectacles, and began to read. He interrupted himself a moment later by a roar of rage. Rules and regulations meant nothing to him now, for he had a boy in France. "'Who wrote that letter?' he cried, pounding on the counter. "'Tell me the name of the woman who wrote that letter. I think I'd better not say any more now, Mr. Cooper, but I'm sure there'll be a way of dealing with her. Just keep that package till my aunt sends for it.' "'I'll keep it till the war's over, if you say so,' replied Mr. Cooper, and he added grimly, I believe I could make a pretty good guess as to who wrote that letter. We Beldingsville folks know each other pretty well, and there's not so many strangers among us. I think I can guess who she was, all right. Pollyanna was surprised to find Jerry Reed outside. Her voice was full of self-reproach as she addressed him. Oh, Jerry, I didn't expect you to wait for me. I'm so sorry. I was in a hurry to get to the express office, but I can walk home. You climb right in, Miss Polly. I mean, Mrs. Pendleton. "'Mrs. Dr. Warren's so mad already that she can't get no madder. "'And I might as well be hung for a sheep as a lamb.' "'Pollyanna climbed in. "'She was beginning to feel tired and was less disturbed "'than she would ordinarily have been at the thought of Mrs. Warren's justifiable indignation. "'She left Jerry to do the talking, as, at a brisk rate of speed, "'though not by any means equaling their recent performance, "'they drove to Aunt Polly's door.' There was a limousine standing outside, and indoors a clearly nervous Aunt Polly questioned an equally nervous Aunt Ruth. What can it mean, Ruth? She's had a great deal, more than time enough to get here. Probably she thought of some errand she wanted to attend to, Mrs. Pendleton suggested soothingly, though her manner was uneasy. I wouldn't worry. She said she was too tired to come with us, and I can't imagine why. Here she is now. The relief in Mrs. Pendleton's voice as she interrupted showed that she had been more anxious than she would acknowledge. Pollyanna came in, holding out the letter with the red seal. "'Read it, Aunt Polly, read it!' The curious intensity of her manner checked Aunt Polly's questioning. "'Why, it's one of Mrs. Newman's notes!' "'It was dropped, and I opened it. I've been to the express office, and Mr. Cooper will keep the package till you send for it.' She dropped into a chair, while Mrs. Chilton drew the letter from its envelope. The exclamation that fell from her lips almost immediately brought Mrs. Pendleton hurrying to her. Together they read and re-read the astonishing production with cries of horror and indignation as they realized how their confidence had been betrayed. That woman isn't to get off scot-free. 
declared Mrs. Chilton excitedly. This may not be the worst thing she has attempted, and there are laws that will apply to her and her kind. I'll call John on the phone, cried Mrs. Pendleton. He'll know exactly what to do. A little sound attracted their attention, and they whirled about. As easily as a vessel glides down the ways to the waiting water, Pollyanna had slipped from her chair and lay unconscious on the floor. For the first time in her life she had fainted. End of chapter 22 Recording by Claire